0: Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I always got to wonder uh, what it was like for John's disciples, Now for John the Baptist's disciples as uh, the scene opens on the reading you just heard. And I got to wonder Because we don't get a lot of details about their situation. At least uh, the kind of details uh, that I'm looking for. You see, last week, last week we met John the Baptist out in the wilderness, about uh, 20 miles east of Jerusalem along the Jordan River, uh, where Luke tells us that he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was telling people, prepare the way for the Lord. You know, it's a, it's a powerful scene, one that we encounter uh, most years during the season of Advent. John the Baptist, the forerunner for Jesus, the prophet who points to him and says, Jesus is the one. So that's the man we met uh, a week ago, but now, now we find him in prison, and it makes me wonder, what was it like for his disciples? You know, we don't know exactly know uh, how much time has passed since that scene. You know, maybe it's a couple of months, maybe it's a year or two. Uh, but if you know John, if you know the kind of demeanor he had, it might just catch you off guard. That's because uh, shortly after that reading that we encountered last week, uh, Jesus makes his way out to John, and uh, what we know is that this is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and if you're one of John's disciples, it's, it's even more than that. I mean, this isn't just a, another day at the office. Instead, uh, Jesus steps down into the water. The heavens are torn open. The Spirit descends. The voice of the Father cries out, and everyone hears God say, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. I mean, there isn't a doubt in anyone's mind. And so, it's a little surprise uh, that if you're one of John's disciples, some of your companions, you know, people like uh, Peter and Andrew decide to follow Jesus, and you know, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it's beginning to flourish, but people keep coming to John the Baptist. They keep asking him, John, are you the Messiah? And John keeps telling them, I'm not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. I must become less as he becomes greater. Less. You see, less is exactly what happens. Herod, King Herod, or or Herod the Tetrarch, as as we met him last week, Herod had it out for John, and and the reason why isn't that surprising. See, Herod had uh, fallen in love with his half-brother's wife, and uh, and their love was so great uh, that Herod goes out and divorces his wife and and his half-brother's wife, her name is Herodias, she divorces her husband, and and the two of them get married. And the reason that Herod has it out for John is that John kept calling Herod out. Herod, that's not lawful. That's what John keeps telling Herod. It's not lawful for you to take your half-brother's wife, but but Herod's king… And John isn't, and so Herod puts John in prison, and, and that brings us to our reading today. And we, we don't get a lot of details, but we can certainly imagine what it might have been like, because John's in prison. It's a, a first-century Roman prison, and so if you're one of John's disciples, if you're visiting him, the first thing you notice is that this place is small and dark it's pretty uncomfortable. You know, maybe uh, John is wearing chains, uh, maybe maybe he isn't, but either way, John seems bound by something else, a sense of misgiving or a question or perhaps better put a reflection on his life and ministry, I mean everything he's done. The confidence that he had, the message that he shared. Was it all in vain? Because from this first century Roman prison cell, John just can't tell. And so if, if you're one of John's disciples, he, he calls you in and he says to you, he says, go ask Jesus. Go ask Jesus, Jesus, are you the one, or should we be looking for someone else? How about you, uh, But I always found it a little surprising uh, that this is one of the readings that gets assigned uh, a little less than two weeks before Christmas. See, many of us uh, have already uh, decorated our homes, we've attended a Christmas party or two, uh, maybe we've even gotten a start on our, our holiday shopping. And so if you're anything like me, when you show up in church a little less than two weeks before Christmas, uh, maybe you expect a similar amount of progress. I mean, if, if last week was uh, John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, then, then this week has got to be someone like Mary or Joseph or angels or shepherds, someone doing something to get us ready for the birth of Jesus Uh, But instead, we jump forward seven chapters, 30-odd years. It's the middle of Jesus' ministry. John's in prison, and he's got a question. Jesus, are you the one, or or should we be looking for someone else? You know, it's, uh, it's just not the kind of question that I'm expecting a little less than two weeks before Christmas. But as I reflect on this passage, what strikes me is this. This is the kind of question that I find myself asking when I take seriously the promise of Christmas. I want to say that again. It's it's not the kind of question that we might be expecting 13 days before Christmas, but but it is the kind of question that we find ourselves asking when we take seriously the promise of Christmas, and maybe it's the kind of question you find yourself asking too. See, 13 days from now, uh, we're going to gather in this sanctuary, and uh, someone is going to read these words, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And uh, someone's going to read these words, the light, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And, and someone's going to read these words, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy for all people, you know, holding a, a Christmas candle on uh, Christmas Eve or or singing some Christmas carols on Christmas morning, uh, those words they they take me to a really special place. Uh, but 13 days before Christmas, what I realize is that I'm not always in that kind of place. Yeah, you know, maybe you're not always in that kind of place. You know, John, uh, John's not always in that kind of place. He's certainly not in that kind of place uh, in the reading that we just heard. And, and that's why I think this reading is so important, uh, because life, at some point, life will force you to wrestle with the promise of Christmas. You know, maybe it's a, a relationship. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to spend probably a lot of time with family and friends and as you do, uh, you might just encounter a broken relationship or two, uh, or, or the kind of relationship that isn't what it once was. And you know, maybe, maybe those relationships make you wrestle with the promise of Christmas. Jesus, are you the one? Or should we be looking for someone else? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's uh, something you just discovered, or maybe it's something that you've known about for a while, and it, and it makes you wrestle with the promise of Christmas. Jesus, are you the one? Or should we be looking for someone else? Or, or maybe it's just uh, the uncertainty you feel. School? A job? Retirement? Something else? And, and it makes you wrestle with the promise of Christmas. Jesus, are you the one, or should we be looking for someone else? You see, it's, it's so easy to let this season just pass us by and, and to not take seriously the promise of Christmas. That's why this reading is uh, it's so important, because John John is not going to let that happen. You see, he's going to give us words to to voice our concerns, to voice our doubts, to voice our our troubles and our frustrations, as together we take seriously the promise of Christmas. At the beginning of my sermon, uh, I said, "I got to wonder what it was like for John's disciples." And I got to wonder uh, what it was like for them to hear their leader ask a question like this. Because on the one hand, I, I got to imagine uh, that it's a little troubling. I mean, I mean John, John was so confident, and so how could John have questions and concerns and doubts like this? But then I got to imagine... Maybe this is the kind of question that John's disciples are already asking because if Jesus is the forerunner, if he is the, the prophet who points to Jesus, why is he in prison in the first place? I mean, either, either Jesus knows that John's in prison and has decided to do nothing about it, or, or Jesus doesn't know that John's in prison, and if that's the case, you've got to wonder, What do you do with that? But then I think, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this just gives them permission to ask. a Permission to ask this question because, because if someone like John can ask this question, well, then maybe they, maybe we can too. You see, that brings us uh, to what happens next because uh, John's disciples, they, they go to Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? You know, we know enough uh, to know what Jesus is doing. I mean, Jesus doesn't just give them a simple yes or no answer. Instead, uh, Jesus points at what he's doing, the blind see, the lame walk those with leprosy are cleansed. Uh, The the deaf, they hear. Uh, The dead, they're raised. And the good news, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And I don't think Jesus is just talking about people without money. It's like uh, Jesus is saying, uh, you want to know an answer? Well, just look at what I'm doing, uh, because what I'm doing is what happens when the Messiah shows up. And so we, We know enough to know what Jesus is doing. I mean, he does these things, and because he does these things, we know that he's going to do something else, and that takes us from from these miracles to a cross and an empty tomb where, where Jesus gives his life to undo the power and the consequences of sin. I mean, all the hurt, all the pain, all the sin, all the brokenness, all of it, it's not always going to be that way. Because Jesus gives his life to undo the power and the consequences of sin. You know, the part you played, the the things you've done, the sins you've committed, they're not going to get in the way of of a relationship with him because because Jesus gives his life to undo the power and the consequences of sin. And and, and that's what we see in the resurrection. We we see a picture uh, of the world to come, and that's why we know enough to know what Jesus is doing. But I got to wonder what it was like for John's disciples. I mean, does does Jesus' answer calm their fears? Does it alleviate their anxieties? Does it it give them confidence in Jesus? You know, the more I think about those questions, the more I got to imagine that their answers are, are probably something like, Maybe, or a little bit, but also uh, not completely. And then maybe the statement, you know, I just want to know more. See so in a lot of ways, uh, John's disciples, I think, uh, I think, give us a picture of what it looks like to live in the tension What it looks like to live in this in-between time, the the now and the not yet. You see, we live by faith. We live by faith in the witness of others. We live by faith in what they've seen. We live by faith in what they've heard. And, And what they've seen and what they've heard, they give us confidence. But confidence, confidence is a different thing from certainty. You see, certainty doesn't require faith. Confidence does, but, but certainty doesn't. Confidence requires faith. Confidence, uh, quite literally, confidence means with faith. It, it comes from a, a Latin word, "confide," with faith or with trust. I think that's why the, the last thing that Jesus says to John's disciples is, is this, blessed is the one who does not stumble, who is not scandalized, who is not turned off or, or put away on account of me. Because you see, there are all sorts of reasons not to believe. You know, Maybe you know some of those reasons. There are all sorts of reasons not to believe, but blessed are those Blessed are you who know some of those reasons, and yet nevertheless have faith, have trust, live in confidence, confide in Him. Now, the last thing that uh, strikes me about today's reading is this. Uh, In many ways, we are not so different from John's disciples. See, we regularly encounter people uh, who find themselves asking this question, Jesus, are you the one? Or, or should we be looking for someone else? You know, the question uh, isn't always that direct. Uh, oftentimes it starts with a sense of discontentment about the kind of world we live in, and it, and it leads to this sense that uh, that maybe, just maybe, there's something more to life than this. Jesus, are you the one, or, or should we be looking for someone else? And so as we come to a close, uh, I simply want to offer a word of invitation, uh, a word of invitation to simply notice. Where do you hear people asking this question? Now, I'm, I'm sure uh, that at some point or another, you hear people asking this question, maybe in different words, but, but where does it happen? How does it happen? I invite you to simply notice. And then I want to offer the challenge uh, that your job and mine, our calling as followers of Jesus, is not to have certainty. Our calling is to have confidence And confidence is not certainty. I mean, we're going to have questions. We're going to wrestle. And sometimes, sometimes life is just difficult. But we live our lives with confidence, with faith, with trust, with confide. And our confidence is in the one who was born 2,000 years ago. Our confidence is in the one who, who gives his life to overcome, to undo the power and consequences of sin. Our confidence is in the one who was raised from an empty tomb, and our confidence, our confidence is in the one who says to people like you and me 13 days before Christmas, I'm coming back. Jesus, are you the one Or should we be looking for someone else? Jesus is that one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.